Rejoice, Jerusalem. Rejoice, Jerusalem. These are the first words that we heard in Mass in the entrance antiphon. And the church knows what she's doing in getting the church to rejoice. Whenever she dresses grown men in pink and they tell you how to live your life from a sanctuary, the only thing you can do is smile. I'm reflecting on a lot um, my own sharing of stories and homilies and how they're normally self-deprecating. But I'd like to share a story with you that is not self-deprecating. Um, I'm really good at ping pong. Like, I'm really good at it. It makes no sense how good I am at ping pong, actually. Um, and sometimes students try to beat me at ping pong. And I'll allow it at times. Normally, I only do penance an hour before Mass, but sometimes I'll give them penance outside of those times. And I would say, like, I don't, I don't take, like, an overabundant amount of joy in it because it's just expected that I embarrass them um, in front of all of their friends. Um, now, there was one time, maybe a month and a half ago, only once, I'd like to remind you, that I did lose. And I was extremely disappointed in myself because I'm just expected to win all the time. Um, whenever you put a ball that is one grand and a paddle in my hand on rubber on either side, right, just like going into a different dimension. And so, yeah, I, w I was very smug about it. And I've recognized that the opposite of joy, the opposite of joy is a kind of smug satisfaction. Because it is very satisfying uh, to beat others in ping pong. But it's normally not an occasion of real joy. Normally not an occasion of real joy. St. Thomas Aquinas says that joy is the effect of charity. Joy is the effect of charity. Or joy is the effect of love. And whenever I obtain God, who is all good, then I experience joy. But I've thinking, been thinking about it uh, in regards to myself. I don't know if I can answer the question the way I would like to, but has this been a joyful Lent? Has this been a joyful Lent? Where my penance has allowed me to look up and to receive God and to rejoice in Him? Or has it been a Lent, rather, of smug satisfaction? Where I look at myself, and I'm just really pleased that I'm being more disciplined with myself. I'm really pleased with the progress that I have made. But I care little whether God comes into my prayer or not, or shows up. I care little if my heart is filled with His grace. What I care most about is, well, if I'm satisfied with my own efforts. I care most about the kind of person that I've become not whether I receive Jesus Christ or not. The kind of smug satisfaction. Now, in looking towards ourselves over and over and over again, and refusing to look towards God, the punishment that God gives us is spiritual blindness. And it's the punishment that God gives, but really it's the punishment that we earn by our own habits, is spiritual blindness. 
the repeatedness of sins over and over again. Now, we can be spiritually blind in a lot of different ways. And the spiritual blindness will ensure that we do not experience joy. Because as we know, eternal joy in the life of heaven is seeing God for all eternity. Eternal joy in life of heaven is seeing God for all eternity. And if I look toward myself over and over again, and whether I'm satisfied with myself and never look up toward God, then I am inflicting spiritual blindness and then cutting off my capacity for true joy. For true joy. Now, what does this look like, this spiritual blindness? It can happen in a lot of different ways. I can be spiritually blind with repeated sins toward unchastity. I can be spiritually blind with repeated sins toward greed. But the spiritual blindness, sorry, I can be spiritual, spiritually blind, one that covers most of my vision, is the sin of pride, the sin of spiritual pride. And the sin of spiritual pride, again, is that smug satisfaction. And it's very telling the way that it manifests itself in the gospel with the blind man. This gospel, as you probably experienced from maybe your sore knees or your tight back from standing up for five minutes, was Jesus speaking with the blind man, the blind man then speaking with the Pharisees. And the, there's just a large section where the Pharisees argue whether Jesus is really from God or not. And that earlier in the Gospels, we see how actually the Pharisees are saying, maybe this guy is actually from Satan. Maybe he is from Satan. Now it's very telling then, considering who the Pharisees think Jesus could be. This man could be from the devil. This man could be the spawn of Satan. And at the very end of the Gospel, after all of that debating, the Pharisees just ask themselves, or ask Jesus, actually, surely we are not blind also, are we? What kind of person cares about the opinion of the devil? What kind of person cares about the opinion of the devil? Spiritually prideful people do, because they care about the opinion of everyone. It cannot be disappointing to anyone. This blindness then leads eventually to sadness and it leads us to be self-enclosed. Now, what then are we to do about it? How do we shake out of the spiritual blindness? There are a couple different things that are worth noting in the gospel. First, as the first line of the gospel, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You think about it, if the disciples don't ask that question, does the blind man just still just sit there on the side of the road begging? Does he remain blind? What the disciples do is that they wrestle with God. They wrestle with the problem of evil. The Pharisees don't later on in the gospel. They say, well, no, this man is blind because of his own sins. They just imagine because they're smugly satisfied themselves, they know the answers to everything. There's no reason to really wrestle with God. They've already wrestled with him and won in their education. No, but the disciples are willing to wrestle with the problem of evil. They're willing to wrestle with God as Jacob did. 
and so earn the title of Israel. And so to be able to wrestle with evil, to be able to wrestle with our own sinfulness, to be able to wrestle with the problems that maybe our family has that we don't have immediate answers to, to wrestle, to shake out of the blindness, to shake out of the malaise, to shake out of the autopilot. The second thing is whenever Jesus goes to heal him, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. Do you know the definition of humility is like from the earth, from the earth. Jesus requires humility for this blind man to regain his vision. But he reminds the blind man that this humility is actually mixed in with his own divinity. The spit of God goes into the ground. The spit of God goes into the ground and then gives this man sight. That any time that we acknowledge honestly ourselves that we are dust and the dust we shall return, that Jesus is there with us, though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to grasp that, but rather humbled himself, emptied himself, and took the form of a slave. That Jesus is with us whenever we make the act of humility to lower ourselves. The other thing is the blind man makes an act of repentance, you could say. He has to go wash in the pool of Siloam. But note that he is not blind because of his own sins. Jesus just said that. He is not blind of his own, because of his own sin. A lot of times, we can be spiritually blind when there's a situation, yeah, but Father, that's not the problem, right? There's a situation where, okay, I have this problem with my family, you know, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm prideful, I struggle with this sin, but Father, that's not the problem. The point is, is to address the problem, he has to make a repentance for his own sins. Jesus is not saying that this blind man is without sin. He's not saying that. But it is clear that his sins didn't cause the blindness. So Jesus say, you know what? Yeah, you don't have to repent. No, Jesus still requires him to repent. That if I desire to see and to rejoice, if I desire to be in communion with God, it's not enough for me to look at the problems of my life and say, yeah, but that sin isn't the problem. Jesus still wants us to repent, even if our sin isn't the direct cause of the problem, which is the problem of suffering. And then lastly, and the, really the most simple thing, is how do we shake out of spiritual blindness the very simple but difficult and um, the very simple and diligent task of seeing how God sees. Seeing how God sees. That's all. That is the main thing that we need to do to shake out of spiritual blindness. To just simply see how God sees. Because the spiritually pride person is proud person is always looking back towards his own opinions, um, only referencing himself. But what the spiritually uh, visual person, the person who can see clearly, is the one who constantly looks back and relates everything in their life to God. 
God first, what does the faith tell me about God? God, who are you? That God, you are one and three. That you are Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternal God, um, life from life, true God from true God. That you are all powerful, you are all knowing, that you are all good. And that you love me and created me in your own image to the point where you became my own flesh. That is who you are, God. God, who am I? God, who am I? I am made in your image. I sinned and became your enemy through my sins. I then became your friend by your redemption and by you breathing your spirit into me so that I can truly live and have your life. That's who I am. God, who is my neighbor? My neighbor is the one who you spilled your blood for while he was still your enemy. He gave you that same, and you gave that same life. And then God, what are the normal events of my life? What, how, should I, how should I treat the person who cussed me off in the parking lot? How should I treat my day-to-day job? How should I treat the people that I you know, interact with when I pick up my kids from daycare? Whatever it might be, that we infuse regularly God's vision over our lives. We let God see every detail. God, how do you see this? And that is a simple task. But it is a diligent and difficult one. Because it requires eternal vigilance. To always let God see us. So that we can see him. This is eternal life begun in us in the life of grace. This is the way that we can begin to see God now so that we can see him forever.